0: morning brothers and sisters. It's good to be with everyone here this morning. I've been asked by the leadership of the church to begin a series on biblical child training. And so we went on a little trip this weekend to Houston to go to a wedding. Had a wonderful time there. Saw a lot of friends and saw a beautiful wedding and a couple joined together in holy matrimony. But I also experienced Bad child training. You're thinking it's from your children. Well, that's always possible and likely, but um, we were staying at a friend's home. Went out the next morning to get some clothes out of the car to get dressed for the day. And as I walked around the side of the car, I said, wow, somebody left my, my driver's side window down. As I got closer, I realized it wasn't left down. Someone had smashed it in and had stolen our GPS. So I spent the good part of the morning uh, vacuuming out all the glass shatterings in the car. It's amazing how far that stuff can spread. And I'm sure we'll still find little glass shivers here and there for for weeks and months to come. What brings a person to do something like that? It's because their parents did not train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, Their parents may not know the Lord And uh, there's such a blessing in the training of the Lord in these areas. And so we're going to try to dive into that subject today. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we are dependent upon you to teach us. Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit that lives within us and leads us into all truth. And so, Father, this morning I just ask you for the glory of Christ and for the betterment of his name, that you would um, take your word this morning and impress it upon our hearts and that you would give us a vision in the next several weeks of what is biblical child training. Lord, I pray you'd expand that vision. I pray that you would energize us toward that vision. And Father, that we um, would see how that fits into your grand plan Oh Father, we are all the beneficiaries of your training, of your discipline, of your instruction in our lives. Lord, as we think about what would we be without your training, who would we be? Lord, we would be um, in the same situation as the person who um, did what he did to my vehicle. We'd be lost, we'd be wretched, we'd be corrupt to the very core, apart from your grace and apart from the love of Christ. So, Father, we thank you for that today, and Lord, we pray that you'd help us to get our mind around this, and that it would not just be an intellectual exercise, but, Father, that it would change us in how we do the training of our children. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been this uh, talk today. It's kind of going to be kind of an overview of child training, in a sense. Really, it's more of a, I guess an overview of work. It's called Biblical Child Training and the Kingdom of God. When we think of child training, we have all kinds of thoughts that kind of come into our head. And a lot of times those are very narrow and very focused. Um, They usually revolve around using the rod, not using the rod, getting your child to obey you in public. That's always important for parents. They hate being embarrassed in public by their children. And the Lord always provides wonderful opportunities for us to get embarrassed in public by our children. Um, And I have some stories along those lines, probably won't tell those today, Um, and won't mention any names of the culprits that were involved in that process uh, to bring sanctification and humility to my life. Um, But in order to rightly understand this term, it's vitally important to understand God's goal for his children. God has a goal for his children. In other words, it's important to see how how child training fits into his overall purpose and plan for people. Child training is under a larger umbrella called discipleship, and so we need to see that as such. You know, a lot of us have our mobile devices, and we're always looking for directions, and sometimes we get so focused in uh, by our map that we really can't tell where we are. Have you ever had that experience? And you're, you, all you know you're supposed to make a right turn or a left turn, but you don't know... Whether you're in East San Antonio, West San Antonio, or if you're in Houston somewhere for that matter, because you're so zeroed in on the map. And so a lot of times with child training, we become so focused in on the very mechanics of child training that we lose sight of the vision and the purpose for it. So what I want us to do today is I want us to zoom back out and look at god's purpose for his people and how child training fits into that purpose Uh, if we don't do this then child training can become an end in itself if not child training can be used for our own ends if we don't have god's purpose for child training guess whose purpose we use now we're going to use for child training our own happens to be a little selfish when it becomes our own end in mind if not child training uh, quick, if not, uh, child training will quickly be abandoned because it's too hard, requires too much time, too much effort, and because we don't see immediate results. So we need God's vision for His people and what He wants to accomplish. So the first question this morning is: What is God's grand plan of redemption? What is His? What is He seeking to accomplish? What is God seeking to accomplish in His grand plan? Redemption. So let's go in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And I hope you're ready to participate this morning. Okay? And so we're going to be observing several passages of Scripture. We're going to be looking for what God has to say about a lot of things in those passages. And we want involvement. Okay? And we can either have involvement the easy way. or we can have it the hard way being a teacher i can do either one i prefer the easy way but we'll see all right ephesians 1 3 through 10 and here are some of the questions we want to ask as we look at this passage how has god blessed us spiritually Why has God blessed us spiritually? Where has God blessed us spiritually? What does he want us to become? This is really important. And what should be our response to him? Okay? So let's read this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. First question, how has God blessed us spiritually? How has he gone about trying to bless us spiritually? He tells us here in the first verse that he is giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he begins to articulate some of those blessings. So looking at the text, how has he done that? What's one thing he's done for us? What's the first thing we see? He chose us. When did he choose us? Before the foundations of this world were laid, he chose us. Us refers to who? The elect. The people of God. As Paul writes to the church, he's talking to those who have been called out of the world and are his. He chose a people for himself before the foundations of the world. Not just a random people. He chose a particular people for himself. Okay, what else do we see? Okay. Okay. He predestined us for adoption. In other words, what's predestined mean? He predetermined. He made sure our destiny was going to what? Be here. And our destiny is what? Adoption as children, as sons. And as adoption as sons, sons always have what? Are heirs to what? An inheritance. Okay, what else do we see here? Okay, good. In accordance with his pledge. We'll talk about that in just a second. What else do we see? Okay, he redeemed us through what? Through the blood. Through the blood of Christ. So he gave us redemption, the forgiveness of our sin, and what did he make known? The mystery of his will to us. What, what incredible blessings these are why has God blessed us spiritually? Because we're special. We're special, all right. For the praise of his son. For the purpose of his will. The purpose of his will. Notice his will here. The purpose of his will comes in several times. It comes in here in um, verse 4 according to the purpose of his will. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his what purpose. So why? Because of his own choice. He chose. He made a choice based upon his own will. We don't really know completely why. We know there's motivation here. He tells us in love out of his love for a people, he chose us. And what does he want us to become? Two words. Holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. He chose us before the foundations of the world for the purpose of what? Becoming holy and blameless. Unite all things in him the purpose of and to say the stated purpose of that is making us holy and blameless under who? Christ, and uniting all things under his authority, his supremacy. That's his goal: is to order everything under Christ, and he will do that. Every knee will bow every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Both those who love him and worship him because he's changed us and those who, who he hasn't changed, they will all bow the knee to Christ. And what should be our response to him? Kind of in the middle here. Praise for the praise of his glory for the praise. This grand plan should bring what worship praise. So God's plan for his people is what to make them holy and blameless. Now, a lot of times we, when we, we evangelize, people say, well, don't you want to go to heaven? Well, that's a good question, but is that all God wants out of the situation? Is for him just to transport us to heaven? No. That's not all he wants. He wants to transform us. Okay? Let's go to Matthew 28, 17 through 20. Incredible passage. Jesus tells his disciples to meet him on the mount. And just before he's taken up in glory... He stands before them. And when they saw him, Matthew 28, 17 through 20, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age Now don't you appreciate the scripture telling us that these disciples worshiped him and also what doubted Does God want you to doubt No. Does he love you in spite of your doubting? Praise God, yes. These people were just like us. They had sometimes great faith and worship, and other times there was anxiety, there was doubt, there was fear. And here they are standing before the risen king. Now, what does Christ command his followers to do in this passage? Make disciples. That's what he calls them to do. Go and make disciples. Of who? All nations. All nations. Okay? What is a disciple? He's a learner. He's a student. He's a follower. He's an imitator. He follows the teacher to become what? Like the teacher. If any of you get your child as an apprentice for someone, what's the goal of that? That they can become like this person in some way, shape, or form. So a disciple has the purpose of becoming like his teacher. The Bible says a student, when he is fully trained, becomes like what? His teacher. So we're to make Disciples. All right? Now, we ought to have enough theology under us to know that that's not something we can do. Who's the primary maker of disciples? Holy Spirit. But we have a secondary, we're a secondary cause in that, aren't we? And he tells these people, go make disciples. I'm the primary cause. I will draw these people to Christ as Christ is lifted up. And then you are, what are you supposed to do? Two things. Okay. Okay, Okay, we're to do what? Baptize. In what? Name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means they kind of need to know who the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, don't they? So we have to teach them all those things about who who he is. And then, so we're not only teaching them who he is, teaching them to know him. The other thing we're teaching them is what? To observe. Now what does observe mean? Follow, adhere to, to follow, adhere to. If you're observing the traffic um, signs, the speed signs, you're what? You're observing for the purpose of what? Following. It's not know them, it's what? Observe them. Knowing them without observing them has no value. When God teaches his people, it's not just intellectual knowledge. Greek Greek teaching is intellectual teaching. We're going to tell you this. You're going to remember this. Okay, now you've been taught. Hebrew thought is, I teach you so that you become. So that you do. So that you change instruction biblical the bible has one purpose lots of purposes main purpose is what to conform us to the image of who christ okay all right why must his disciples obey him in this command to make disciples he has commanded us and what does it matter that he commanded us he's the boss and what does he tell us at the beginning yeah that's, a, that's a, yeah, when the boss tells you to do something you better do it because he has what all he has, doesn't have just some authority he has what all authority on heaven and earth so is this command commandment optional no this commandment is not optional It's not optional. For those who are moms and dads, you have all these children God's given you. This commandment is for you. Make disciples of your children. We're going to look at Paul here in a minute and how he sought to do that. And how do we make disciples? We've said baptizing and what? Teaching them. A few things I've commanded them. All that I've commanded them. Does that not overwhelm you? It ought to. Christ commanded a lot of things. How are we going to do that? Are we going to do it perfectly? Perfectly? I don't think so. Are we going to do it all by ourselves? I hope not. I hope not. Because all of us are imperfect disciples, aren't we? All right. What's his promise in this passage? He is always with us. Behold, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. When's the end of the age? When he returns, when he returns, that's the end of the age. I'll be with you. And what's the understanding here? I'm just going to be hanging out with you. What's he saying here? What's the promise that goes with this? He's going to help us. He's going to be with us to what? To help us. To what? Make disciples and teach them everything that's been commanded. How's he going to help us? It doesn't come out of this passage. He's going to give all of his children what? The Holy Spirit and grace. He's going to give us who are making the disciples what? The Holy Spirit and what? Grace. He's going to take people who aren't disciples and do what? Make them disciples. Disciples. By his grace. Okay? He's with us in this. You're not in it by yourself. Child training, you're not in it by yourself. You may feel by yourself sometimes. (laughs) When you're in that store and everything you've trained them doesn't go that way and they decide to raise their little voices in rebellion, where is God? He's there. He's there, or you have an older child who's walking in a way they shouldn't walk. He's there. He's there to help you make disciples. Romans eight, twenty-eight through thirty. Great passage. A deep passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. There's that purpose idea again. All who love God have been called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Question, what is God's purpose for those he saves? <clears throat> Sanctification, that's good. Being conformed, pressed into what? His image. To the image of who? Of Christ. This is the end game of God redeeming people. They're not just redeemed and forgiven and left sitting there. He now wants to press them into what? The very image of His Son. God's grand plan was what? That before the foundations of the world, He chose a people that He would redeem from the fall of Adam. He would forgive them. And He would begin the process of changing them over the entire span of their life more and more and more into the image of Christ. That one day, there would be a people... Call the church universal that would look like Christ and would worship Him. That's the plan. And the plan is not just the forgiveness of our sins. That's absolutely necessary in the plan. But the end game is what? Conforming a people to the image of Christ. Parents, that's your job description with that little two-year-old, that 10-year-old, that 20-something, is to come alongside and and be a secondary cause in the what? The conforming of that person to Jesus Christ. There's not a higher calling than that, friends. Friends. There's not. Is it the only calling? No. <clears throat> because, see, we, we first learn in our home, and then we export this. Not only the, the people that have been brought more into conformity to Christ, we export them into, into new households and across this globe for the glory of Christ. But then we also, while we're doing this in our home, we also focus outside our home to those who need to come to the conformity of Christ, which is all people. So we pursue all people for this goal and purpose. What is his process for accomplishing this in Romans 8? Suffering hmm. Going back to Roman, Romans 828. Okay. Persecution. Mm hmm. It does. So we have really two tracks here. Let's, look, let's first look at this track of his little, of how he works it in his mind. First, he does what? He foreknows them, right? He, he chooses them. And it's, it's not just I know about them. There's this, I, this idea of knowing is more of, more of a, an idea of a man with a woman. There's, there's an intimacy here. There's a, there's a personal knowledge of. You were known before you were created. That's, that's amazing. So we're foreknown and then we're what? Predestined. And then we're what? Called. And then we're What? <laughs> justified. So what's called mean? Amen. We were called. Was it it effective? It was. There's an outward call and an inward call. When Brother Bob gets up and preaches or when I'm talking or when anybody else is preaching or, or talking about Christ there's a what? outward call that may or may not result in people coming to christ but there's an inward call of the spirit that when he locks in on you and he regenerates you you now have ears to hear as bob said and all of a sudden the message becomes real clear Before you were blind and couldn't see anything. And all of a sudden, with this call, the steps become really clear. I am under the judgment of God. I'm a sinner like I never thought I was before. Wow, Christ died for me and says, come all who are weary and heavy laden. And by this point, you are weary and heavy laden under the load of your sin. And you reach out with the faith God's given you and you repent and believe. And you're saved. Okay, so for you, predestined, called, and what's the next one? Justified. What's justified mean? Amen. It's you're treated as if you had never sinned. You were pronounced not guilty because he who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that we might become what? The righteousness of God. So we're justified. There's one thing he doesn't mention here. He goes from justified to what? Glorified. Glorified. There's sanctified in there, but in the mind of Paul, if you're justified, you're going to be what? And glorified. Glorified. Am I going the right way? Am I going the wrong? I'm getting backwards here, all right? So his his foreknowing produces what? Being glorified. His foreknowing produces being predestined. His predestined drives a call. And he's the primary caller, and who's the secondary callers? All of us. As you you sit down with your children and talk about the gospel to them after they disobeyed, you are calling them. to come to Christ. As you talk to your fellow worker or you come across somebody at the gas station and you speak the gospel, you are giving an outward call. But it will be of no avail unless the spirit does a what? Inward call. And who decides what the spirit does? (laughs) The purpose of God does and it's glorious justified glorified sanctified what's sanctified mean being conformed to what the image putting off the things that are not part of his image and putting on what the things that are part of his image okay and how can God work all things for good well first question is In light of this passage and all we've looked at, what does God define as good? Being conformed to to His image—that's God's idea of good. Our idea of good is like this: Hey, Bob, I hope you have a good day. What do I mean by that? Don't get hit by a train. Don't Don't have somebody bust in your window of your car. Don't get in a wreck. Don't get some disease. Don't have any bad conflict or situations. In other words, our idea of good is no conflict and everything being blessing. Amen? Amen. So what happens when somebody does smash our our window in? Lord, who are you? What happened with this deal? Or all of a sudden I find out I've got a disease that may end in death. Or all of a sudden I have conflict. With family members, or, or someone rises up within the church and, sp- and speaks a false doctrine. Is God surprised by that? No. All those things are used to what? Conform us to the image of His Son. So He works all things together for good to those who love Him but his definition of good is not our definition of good. So persecution, suffering, challenges, trials, all those things that come our way, he uses them what? For our good. And what's his purpose in all those things? Conform. Conform us. That is, his, that is his goal for us. So in your child training, parents, What is your goal in child training? Is it just to have compliant children who won't give you any problems so you can have a good day? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that can only be done by the work of the Spirit and what He's called us to do, right? He's the primary cause, we're the secondary cause. Okay? Let's go to Colossians 1 28, 29. Paul just gives us a little glimpse into his ministry. Paul's pretty much a no-nonsense kind of guy. He gets right to it in Colossians 1, 28, 29. Him we proclaim, or we proclaim Christ, some translations say, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, this I labor, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What's Paul's ministry? Making disciples. And how does he describe it to us? It's work. There's And, and what's his method? Admonishing. What's admonishing? Correcting. Warning. Teaching. Okay? With what, I, what? What would he possibly use to do that with? The word of God, right? All right? And what's his kind of, the big statement he starts with? He preaches Christ, doesn't he? He proclaims Christ to all people. He doesn't proclaim the church to them. Asking, you go to a good church, that's all right. That's helpful in your conversation. But at some point, we've got to get down to doing what? Proclaiming Christ, don't we? Because it's all about him. Okay? We're promised that if we lift Christ up, he'll what? Draw all to Christ. So we, he proclaims Christ, warning. And who does he warn? How many people does he warn? Wow. His, his, his radar is on everyone. Did you know it's not our job to figure out who the elect are? Or to who think we think the elect are? Because they're always the ones that we like. I sure like that person. He's so kind and friendly you know I want you to come to Jesus this guy over here oh goodness no his scope, is, his scope is universal with all wisdom and what's his, what's his goal there to present to who to present to his father to present to Christ who Everyone, and what, how does he want to present them? Mature. Mature. In other words, a person who is conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, turn to Colossians 1.15. Talk about this image of Jesus. Let's look at what the Bible says about Jesus. Colossians one fifteen. Colossians 1.15. Bible says what? He is what? Christ is what? The image of who? Of God. Christ is the very exact image. Hebrews 1 says he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And God's goal for all of his followers is to be just like Jesus. To be just like him. In his, in his words, in his thoughts, in his actions, in his worship, in his prayer. That's why he gives us four books in the Bible to look at Jesus through. Four different men. Matthew, Luke, John, Mark, which mostly got most of his stuff probably from Peter. He's given us four Beautiful pictures of Christ. Why would he do that? Obviously to glorify Christ, but what? So that we can be imitators of him. How can you conform to something if you don't know what it looks like? Have you ever thrown a jigsaw puzzle out on the table and you didn't have the picture to follow? That's going to be a long day. Christ is the image of God, and we are being conformed by the Spirit who lives within us and the Word to become more like Christ. Okay? Paul's goal is to present everyone mature in Christ or complete in Christ or conformed to Christ's image, and he accomplishes it. How does he do this? With what? With whose energy? I love this. I love this verse right here. Struggling with all whose energy? His energy. He's not talking about himself. The spirit of Christ living within him. That he, Paul, powerfully works. Or that he, God, powerfully works within me. The spirit of God living in us gives us the energy and the drive and the desire and all those things to labor. Do we labor? We absolutely do. But with whose energy? With the energy of the Spirit of God to accomplish these things. Okay? Let's turn to John 4, 23 and 24. So let's let's think what we've talked about so far. What's God's purpose for all of His people? Conform them to the image of His Son. Okay, that's His purpose. And He has, if we look at Romans eight, it's not a hope it'll happen. It's what? It's sure. It's sure. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, we'll add, sanctified. And those he sanctified, he what? Glorified. Glorified. There's no break in the chain. He will accomplish this. And Paul just tells us, how is he going to do it in Paul's life? Through the Spirit of God living within him. It's not just, boy, Paul just was an energetic guy. He was just wonderful, and we could just be like Paul. No, it's the Spirit of God lived in him. Christ in him, the hope of glory. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but who lives in me? Christ in him. Christ in him drove this man to go everywhere in the Roman Empire. And go where first? To the Jews. Until they kicked him out. And then he would preach to the Gentiles. And there were times they tried to kill him. He'd go back into the same town again. And continue the message. That's not Paul. That's Christ. In Paul. Paul yielded to Christ. By the power of his spirit. So we have this foregone conclusion. Is the mission going to be successful? We're going to find out in a minute. John four twenty three and 24. <clears throat> but the hour is coming. John 4, 23 and 24. The hour is coming and now is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in what? Spirit and truth. So, simple question, who does the Father seek? Okay, what kind of worshipers? True, True worshipers. All right. According to Romans 3, how many of those are there out there? None. None. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seek him. There's none who fear God. <clears throat> it's kind of like my high school coach. He's looking for what? Basketball players. Did he find any? That's really questionable. Really questionable. Was I a basketball player when he called me? Oh, I could, I could throw it up and he'd go in every once in a while. but what it didn't matter to him did it because he was going to take me and he was going to conform me into the image of a what basketball player this is what god does he seeks worshipers are there any out there nope sorry if you think that he 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 came after you because you're already worshiping him in spirit and truth wrong answer Wrong answer. What defines them as true worshipers? Spirit and truth. How do you worship in truth? Worshipping in the corners of the scriptures. Worship, you better get that one right since you're teaching us on the Trinity. Worshiping the true God, who he really is. It, so it has to be in truth. Worship of the, worship of a God that doesn't exist is not true worship. Worshiping not the way he asks you to is not true worship. And what? In spirit. Okay? By what? By the power of what? The spirit. You can't worship God if you don't have the spirit of God. I mean, you can get here and sing some songs, and you can do whatever you're doing, but it's not worship. That's why he's given us the spirit. To teach us, lead us into all truth, and to help us worship. Worshiping in spirit and truth. If you have a hard time worshiping, all the time, if you don't worship, if you just sing the songs and check off the boxes, do you really have Christ living in you? Do we really? If the message of Christ doesn't excite your heart, If his commands don't move you forward, do you know him? Why does God seek worshipers? For his glory. glory. Because he is what? Worthy. He's the only one worthy of worship. And it's completely appropriate for him to seek worshipers because he's worthy. Everything else we worship is not worthy. He's the only one that's worthy. Well, let's look at Revelation 9. 7 chapter 7 9 through 12. Okay, so his mission is to what? To save a people for himself, to conform them to the image of Christ, to make them what? Worshippers. Was he successful? Look into heaven we'll see what we got here. Revelation 7, 9-12. After this, the Apostle John in this vision, as he's looking in to the throne room, He said, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. They had no problem worshiping. They weren't timid in their worship. They were all engaged. And this is what they cried out. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and around the elder and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God accomplished what he set out to do. To conform people from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation into the image of Christ and to have them bowing down and worshiping the Son. And the Father, by the power of the what? Spirit. Parents, God sent those souls to your house. Either through natural birth or adoption. And he wants them, according to his will, to become worshipers of him. Not just to be good church attenders. Not to be little legalistic Christians who check off boxes. But joyful worshipers who worship God in what? Spirit and truth. And the good news is he promises to what? To be with you. And he promises through that that he will help as you do what he's called you to do which is sowing and watering, he will help, he will train them to become worshipers. What a great promise, what a great promise. There's a lot to child training. It is not simply do I use the rod or do I not use the rod. I wish it was that simple. There's a lot to training children I'm still learning, okay? You know, in high school, I did have a great coach. And this man took the game of basketball and he broke it down into various components. And he would drill us and train us and teach us and train us and drill us on everything from following through on the jump shot to finding the person spinning, blocking him off the boards, to taking the offensive charge, to how to dribble. And he would work on these little component parts until there was times you're like, I wish we'd stop doing this. I just want to play the game. But we, we all did continue to do that because we knew when it came time to play the game, we would be at our best. And there was a good chance that we'd love to win. So we, we would do that. The Christian life is broken into a lot of component parts. There's a lot to train your children in. What do we need to train our children in? Hmm? Godliness. Say it again. Nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's how we train them. Mm-hmm. What do we train them in? What we train them to be what? Worshippers? What else? His commandments, to pray, to obey, to wait on the Lord, to pray to what? I mean there's a, to serve, to suffer, to work, to observe his the Sabbath, to I mean there's just all these things. I mean there's all these component parts. I love Bob. I love Cody. Are they gonna are they gonna be able to train them in all those areas? Do they have enough time with your children to do that? Mm-mm. Discipleship's a 24-7 job. It's 24-7. Son, take out the trash. Time for child training. All right, how exciting. Son, quit pulling your, your your sister's hair. Discipleship, there's definitely a component that happens in the church and we'll talk about that in this whole situation. Okay. Some people believe that only the father ever does the teaching of the children. We're gonna help blow that myth out of the water, okay? All right, but there's a lot, just like my coach. There was always some drill we would do. I mean, one drill we had, he just threw the ball for it, and we just dove for it. Just run and diving, just getting aggressive. Or doing defensive slide for 12, 13 minutes like this. Felt like your back was going to fall out of socket. <laughs> this is what it takes in training our children. It has to be intentional. It has to be deliberate. And it's all based upon what? The very Word of God. Okay, we're going to talk about all those things down the road. Who has God commanded to be the primary primarily responsible for the training of children? Genesis 18, 17 through 19. Genesis 18, 17 through 19. Let's look at that right quick. We should know that from our scripture memory this morning. Proverbs 6, 20 and 21. Right, Max? <laughs> Who is, I'll put this, who is primarily responsible besides the Lord and the discipleship of our children? Father. All right. 17 through 19. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? This was when he was getting ready to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. God gave this great promise in Genesis 12. Remember, he would make all the nations of the earth blessed through him. We saw that in Revelation 7, didn't we? All the nations are blessed through Christ. Okay? For I have chosen him, this is what the Lord says, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised him. God made a promise, and then Abraham had things that he needed to do as imperfectly as he would to bring help bring that promise to fruition. Okay? And Abraham was, command, well, Abraham was commanded to command his children to follow the ways of the Lord. So parents are commanded by God. To do that, fathers are primarily responsible, and wives are their what? Starts with H. Help meets in training children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6. Very famous passage. We'll spend some time on that down the road. Not today. Don't become discouraged. All right starting in four, but he basically commands Moses. He tells Moses all the commandments, and then Moses' job is to command what? All the men to carry these commandments and teach them to their children. Deuteronomy 4, I mean 6-4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That should sound familiar. That's a verse we've been memorizing, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. How are you to train your children to love God? Wow. And these words I have commanded you this day shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And he uses the same kind of language here. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the front list between your eyes. They didn't do this. They did not do this. They disobeyed this command and they did not last in the land. Assyria and Babylon blew them out of the promised land because they did not teach their children. Why is this country in the state it's in? I promise. Uh, politics aside, parents did not Teach the commandments of God to their children. We're one generation away from paganism. Joshua twenty-four. Fifteen. Joshua was exhorting these people who are already into paganism. In Joshua twenty-four. He says, verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. So they're already disobeying God, right? They weren't supposed to bring any gods into the new world. Here they are. And serve him. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. Either the gods from there or the gods from here. You decide who you're going to serve. I love this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This man took the responsibility of training his children because he's a good guy, because he has the Spirit of God living within him, working in his life. Ephesians 6.4. We're almost done. We've got an announcement to make. There will be no time for fellowship after this session. We'll go immediately into worship. We'll, ma- walk, we'll walk around the sanctuary seven times quietly and then have our seats. Okay? Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you that you may live long on the land. Then notice who he talks to. Fathers. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, this is a, this was a real letter sent to the Ephesian church. He calls out fathers. Does that mean mom's going to break? No, they're helpmeets. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Last question. Why do we have reason for hope in child training from all that we've looked at today? Why do we have reason for hope? All the promises that he's going to do this for the people. He's promised he's going to do this Okay? He's promised to predestined children to be conformed to his image. Who's the primary cause? He is. Who's the secondary cause? We are. And particularly within the child training aspect of discipleship, the mom and the dad. And who's going to be held responsible? The father is going to be held responsible. He didn't say moms, train for children in the image of the Lord. He said fathers. Okay? Second, he promised what in Matthew 28? He promised to be with us. And to make make this venture what? Successful. Right? And lastly, what has he given to all those who are his children? The Spirit. The Spirit of Christ. That we can do this. We'll look at next week and down the road some other topics like this. Relationship is the foundation of child training. Discipleship, that's a, that's a key uh, discussion. Impressing God's word on their heart. Family worship, training worshipers. Discipline for God's purposes. Not guaranteeing that's going to be all that we'll have in this series, but it'll get us started. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great, plan to conform a people to the image of Christ for the worship of Christ and the glory of God. Oh, Father, I pray that you would expand our vision of what child training is. And Lord, that we would be have great hope, not because we're great parents, but because we have a great God and we have his great spirit that lives within us. And he he brings our children to the cross of Christ. Father, I pray that you would equip us as we go through these times that you'd help us to think rightly, and Lord, that you would call us to a higher level of discipleship of our children for the glory of your name. Amen.